Hello, welcome to Caregiver's Haven, a podcast helping families who are caregivers of a loved one with a mental illness gain peace of mind. Even though this is a podcast focused on family caregivers of the mentally ill, much of the discussion can be helpful to any caregiver. Your host is Sandra. She is a family caregiver sharing her lived experiences and hopes to provide education, support, and resources to other families. Hey caregivers, how are you? I'm hoping that everyone is remembering self-care, remembering to rest and relax and rejuvenate, to decrease your stress. Being a caregiver can be stressful, but if we remember self-care, we can do much better. And just an FYI, as I remind you, I'm also reminding myself because as we know, it can be very, very easy to forget to take care of ourselves as we're taking care of somebody else. So this week, I had a completely different topic for Caregiver Saving Podcast, but a friend called last week um, and needed some help. And it's just been heavy on my heart all week. So I decided to do something completely different. Today, we will be talking about crisis intervention. Um, and specifically crisis intervention during a manic episode. We have so many, um, so many people who deal with that on a, on a daily basis. A lot of people don't know, you know, because of stigma, a lot of people don't share, but a lot of people go through that. And I just want to help her. So this episode is dedicated to my friend. She knows who she is. And how many of you caregivers out there have had a loved one with a manic episode? Or even more so, how many of you have had a loved one who was escalating and it seems like they're going to have an episode, but they don't have any of you experienced that just, um, you can, you can send me a message on my Instagram or on anchor and just let me know because a lot of people deal with this. Don't tell anyone they deal with it by themselves and it can be very scary. It can be very frustrating and it can be fearful. And a lot of people don't talk about it. The families suffer alone because it's just this big, you know, scary secret thing because of stigma, but it doesn't have to be that way. So we're going to talk about it today. So it's just when, when the, when our loved ones are in that in-between state, like they're escalating into an episode, um, they haven't had a full-blown manic episode. This can be really, really tough for the family because we know if we've been through it before, I mean, it may be someone's first time seeing their loved one have a manic episode, but if you've been through it before, you can see the signs, you know that it's coming. You, um, you see that they're like maybe not eating or not sleeping well. And so you're like literally on pins and pins and needles hoping to deescalate them. But you also know that a full blown manic episode may be coming. And that, that in between time, oh my gosh, it is just, it can be very, very nerve wracking and it could be days. It could be weeks, um, before the full, before they get better or before the full blown manic episode happens. But in the meantime, in the meantime, it's a time when we can, the family members can be having a hard time. And you know, the thing about it is even though you're on pins and needles and you're waiting for it to happen, when it does happen or when some bizarre behavior does happen, 
it can still shock you and catch you off guard. I mean, you've been waiting for this. You know that your family member may be getting sick, but when it does happen, it can still be very, very shocking to you because the behavior just comes, A, it can come out of nowhere and B, it can be very bizarre. So it, it's just a really hard time. And then usually the, the other thing that's hard during this time is that if you call the police or the crisis intervention team, they usually won't take them on a 5150. For those of you who don't know, a 5150 is um, it, someone getting admitted into a psychiatric hospital involuntarily is something that they wouldn't normally do, but their family member or the police, someone will have them admitted because they know that they're having, they're in a mental health crisis. And so during this time, um, they, the, the uh, police or family or crisis intervention won't take them because they're not in a full-blown manic episode at that time. They um, will, if they are not a danger to themselves or a danger to their family member, they will not take them. That's the criteria. And that can be very, very difficult because they can literally be doing some things that you know they need to be hospitalized, but because of the criteria, they're not, they're not there yet. So again, just a difficult place for our loved ones and our, and, um, and our, our, and our family caregivers, you know, our loved ones are sick. They don't want to feel like that either. And it's just a hard time. So I don't know. Have you guys been there? Let, let me know. Let me know if you've experienced this. And a lot of times when they're going through this, it's just, it's difficult also because we don't even know why they're going through it. Sometimes it could be because they haven't been taking their care. They haven't been taking their medication. Sometimes it's because they've been using alcohol or marijuana or some other substance. Sometimes we just don't know. Sometimes the doctors don't know for whatever reason, their mood um, becomes unstable and they have um, a mania episode and a mania episode is where someone is just, um, some people who are mentally ill, they call it, they're just flying high. They have all this energy. They want to spend all their money. They, they stay up all night, blast their music, um, or they become irritable or agitated, or they want to fight or argue. They're just like off the chain as, as some people call it. Um, so last week I received a phone call and this is why I wanted to dedicate this episode to crisis intervention. I received a call, a phone call from one of my friends and she was distraught. She was like scared, angry, anxious. She felt helpless. She felt guilty um, because her loved one was escalating. And she was telling me all this as she was locked in her bedroom and she was locked in her room because her family had escalated to that point uh, where she felt like she just needed to get away. And she was feeling guilty because she was locked in her room and safe, but she didn't know what her family member was out there doing. She didn't know if they were safe. She didn't know, but she just also didn't feel comfortable going out of her room. So for those of you who have been this, through this before, can you picture that? Like this type of situation is very, very difficult because she was home by herself. Her loved one was escalating and she was locked in her room. So she's, but she's feeling guilty because she's like, well, dang, what are, are they, are they okay? Are they safe? What are they doing now? But if I go out the room, it may cause them to escalate more or they may, may want to, you know, yell at me. It's just, it's, you know, it's just a scary and frustrating place to be. And so her family member had been showing signs for weeks. You know, they weren't eating well, they were irritable. They had been starting arguments over menial things and very, very restless and just, 
you know, just you knew that something was not right and you knew that they were irritable. And so on this particular day, she said that they were irritable and restless, but they had already been exhibiting the, this behavior. But they came into her room like on three different occasions asking a question about a lamp. Just, you know, about a lamp. But each time they came, they seemed more and more agitated. And so now um, the the fourth time she came in there, she came in and, <clears throat> excuse me, she said she came in and was yelling and cussing and throwing things at my friend and just tearing up the house. And so like it went from just coming in there asking a question like these silly questions about the lamp to yelling and screaming and cussing. And so then my friend has this guilt because she said she should have seen it coming. She should have known something was up. But, you know, that's not necessarily so. You don't, like I said a few minutes ago, they can be ex escalating and exhibiting behavior, but you just don't know when it's going to blow up to that. So all of this is going on and she's home by herself. So now she's in her room. She's home alone and she's keeping herself safe, but she doesn't know if her family member is safe. So she knows from experience that this is not enough yet for 5150. So can you imagine this? Like she's locked in her room. Her family member is in there only doing only God knows what. And she knows she's been through this enough times before that she knows if she calls crisis intervention or the police, they're, they're not going to do anything at this point because she's irritable and tearing stuff up, but she's not threatening to harm herself or threatening to harm my friend. So you see what I mean? It's just like a really, really um, frustrating place to be. And it can be scary. I mean, oh my God, it's just like, this is just so, so stressful. And I'm, I'm saying all that because I feel it. I've been there. I've done this and I feel it. And I just, I know how that is. It's, you know, you don't want your family member to be hospitalized, but sometimes when you're at this point, you just kind of, I, I heard someone say this before that you just kind of want the full blown mania to come so that they could just go ahead and get in the hospital and get some medicine and get some help and, and it'd be over with because this could literally go on for weeks of them escalating, you know, escalating to the full blown mania. And in the meantime, the family is just trying to deal with it and trying to help them and trying to keep things calm. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I'm on the phone just trying to calm her down, trying to give her words of encouragement. You know, like I said, I've been in those shoes before and I just uh, I was just hurting for her and I just wanted to help her. And I just what could I do over the phone other than just try to give words of encouragement, try to give her ways to try to help um, deescalate her family member. And so one of the things that I want to talk to you about today is what do we do in this situation? How can we help our family member? Just what is it can we do for both our loved ones and for ourselves? And I'm actually going to uh, share with you what I've learned from experience, from going through this myself, um, and also from things that my therapist has told me and a few things from the NAMI family to family class. And again, I'm not a professional. I'm sharing with you what I've learned and what I've experienced. And 
we, you know, this, this podcast today is called crisis intervention and I'll probably title it crisis intervention part one, because since I changed topics so quickly this week, I didn't have a chance to bring a therapist on with me, but I think I'll do a crisis intervention part two later on, just so that we can get a little bit more detailed information about mania. We talked about it a little bit in um, episode eight in the bipolar disorder podcast, but I think after today, this whole crisis intervention piece, we need to talk about it so that we can all be prepared when this happens. And so mainly, um, what can we do right now? I'm going to read to you some of the, um, crisis, uh, tips that NAMI family to family gives. And I'll just read them to you because they just kind of help you understand that when your family member is going through this, they're in an altered reality state. They, they may seem like they're doing this on purpose. They may seem like they're being manipulative, but there's a, there's something else controlling them. They don't really know what's going on. They don't really know what they're doing. And so you really have to be, be patient with that and, um, and be calm in the whole situation. So one of the things that my therapist, uh, taught me is first and foremost is safety. So safety for your loved one and safety for the rest of the family. So one of the things I said is to always try to situate myself where I can easily leave the house if I need to. So basically make sure there's an exit between me and my family member. And sometimes this is easy to do depending on where everything happened. And sometimes it's not, but it's just something always to try to keep in mind. If you live in a house that has more than more exit in the house, it, it may be pretty easy, but you know, if, if not, it could be a challenge. So you should just probably keep that in your mind and maybe, um, have a, think of something ahead of time that you can plan to make sure that that can happen. Um, one time for me, I was upstairs, so I, it was kind of like nothing I could do cause I was not near a, a door to get out the house, but, um, but still I could go to another room and lock myself in if I needed to. Another thing that she told me is that if we have a, if we have a loved one who is depressed or suicidal to make sure that you lock all weapons and lock all medications. And this includes aspirin and Tylenol. A lot of people don't think that aspirin and Tylenol is like dangerous, but any medication, too much of any medication can cause harm to someone. So that's, that's really important. And basically all medications. So the next few things that I'm going to talk about are things that I learned from the NAMI to NAMI class. And I'll just uh, read them off to you because it's just, it's really good information. So, um, I'll just read them to you. So number one says, don't threaten, don't threaten. And this may be interpreted as a power play. So by your family member, this may be interpreted as a power play and it may increase fear or prompt assaultive behavior by the patient. Second, don't shout. If the mentally ill person seems to be listening, it isn't because he or she is hard of hearing. I'm sorry, let me read that again. If the mentally ill person seems not to be listening, it isn't because he or she is hard of hearing. Other voices are probably interfering or predominating. And some people know if their family members hearing voices and some people don't. So it's just best to like not shout, be calm. Number three, don't criticize. It will only make matters worse. It can't possibly make things better. 
Number four, don't squabble with other family members over best strategies or allocations of blame. This is no time to prove a point. Number five, don't bait your family member into acting out wild threats. The consequences can be tragic. And um, for this example, I remember there was someone whose family member was always threatening to commit suicide, always threatening to take all their pills. And finally, one time the family member got upset and said, just go ahead and do it. Well, then they did it. So it's like, you don't want to bait them. You don't want to, you don't want to play their game with them. Just remain calm um, and don't, don't bait them like that. Number six, don't stand over your family member. If he or she is seated, since this may be experienced as threatening. So let me read that again. If your family member is, is sitting down, don't stand over them because they may experience that as a threatening maneuver. So instead, seat yourself. On the flip, on the flip side of that, if an ill relative is getting incre increasingly upset and stands up, consider standing up so that they... Um, so that if they escalate to the point of becoming more threatening, you can quickly leave the room. And number seven, avoid direct continuous eye contact or touching your family member. Comply with requests that are neither endangering nor beyond reason. This provides the patient with an opportunity to feel somewhat in control. And one of the, one of the things about this eye contact and touching your family member, um, we had, um, a situation one time where the we called the crisis intervention team but the police showed up instead and um there were there were two officers here and we get a knock on the door and there here comes two more officers and i said what do you need and they said well, we're just here to help and i have um and i said no we already have two people here that's enough and he goes well i have someone i have a um, rookie and he hasn't you know been able to see a crisis intervention for a mental health crisis and I just want him to see and I was like no I said if you've had any training at all you should know that too many people is um is too much like too many people just looking at the person can cause them to escalate more and I said no we have two officers here I'm a nurse my husband's a therapist so please leave my home and he didn't want to do it but he had no reason to argue with me and he had no reason to be at my home and so I asked him to leave because you know eye contact, touching them when they're already in an irritable state is very, very bad. Like it can, it can turn to a bad situation. So the last one is don't block the doorway. However, do keep yourself between your family member and an exit. We talked about it a little bit already. If possible, convey calm. Although no one should feel that they need to stifle their emotions at all times in order to help an ill relative, research suggests that strong expressions of negative emotion may further destabilize individuals with mental illness. So that's just um, a summary of a lesson that I had in class. I took this class like six years ago. I really want to take it again. It is an awesome class. Um, I want to take it again, but that's just a summary. But those are some things that you guys can keep in mind about you know, what to do if your family member is experiencing some mania or um, having a mental health crisis. Some really, really good things to do, and they really do help. And I can tell you that the thing of it is I try, I try to look at this book and I try to think about these things all the time because 
when things happen, let me tell you, like it, all, everything you know can just go right out the door because things can become very chaotic, like really, really quick. And so I just, um, I just say that you should, you should read all this and have pamphlets and have things around so that you can become familiar with it because, you know, may, maybe you won't remember all 10 things, but maybe you'll remember at least one of those things when things happen. Cause again, it can happen very quickly. It can come out of nowhere and you want to be prepared, um, prepared. So that's, that's just kind of the short and sweet of it. And I just wanted to do that for, for my friend, just so that she has some information that can, that can help her. Um, and it, it's just, uh, information that if, if you're in, in a situation where it's a crisis and it's not time to call the police yet, these are some of the things that can help you hopefully deescalate your family member. So I want to uh, pull a couple of things out that we talked about already today, such as why I talked about it's not time to call the police yet. So in our bipolar episode, bipolar disorder episode, we talked about this a little bit. Those of you have been in this situation before, you know that they're not going to take your family member away on a 5150 unless they're threatening to harm themselves or threatening to harm others. And so you, but you know, that it's time to go, you know, that it's time that they're, that they're at that point where you're not going to be able to help them. But, but those are the rules. That's a law. And I know that there's a a lot of legislation and education going on to where people are trying to get that changed. But as of right now that, you know, that's the law. Sometimes it is still helpful to call the crisis intervention team if they have that in your community or call the police because sometimes just having someone else come in there and talk to your family member it can sometimes help them de-escalate it can kind of diffuse the situation it just kind of you know i guess it just kind of i don't know you know gets them to thinking about something else and it can cause everything down before it gets too bad and in a lot of communities the police officers have had some extra training on mental health crisis and people with mental illness. And so they know how to talk to them and how to deescalate them. So sometimes it's helpful to call, even though you know that they may not take them away on a 5150, it may be helpful to call um, to help calm them down. I prefer when a crisis intervention team comes because sometimes when they see the police that can cause them to, to escalate more. Um, but that's, that's not always helpful in our community. We have a crisis intervention team, but there aren't very many of them. So like, you know, like when we've called them, they've never come actually, um, we, I have several family members. And so this situation, they haven't come because, um, the police, the police have come, they don't have very many of them. So they're not always available. Um, the other thing I wanted to pull out of the discussion for today is guilt. So my friend felt so guilty that she didn't see this coming. And I mean, you can't always see it coming. Like you just, it's not always possible. She felt guilty that she was safe in her room, but she didn't know what her family member was out there doing. Um, And I just want to say to all of you caregivers out there, just know we are doing the best that we can do. Caregivers, we are doing the best that we can do. And so don't let that guilt game make you um, get sad or depressed or anxious or feel stressed. Please don't blame yourself. 
please don't feel guilty. Be gentle with yourself. I cannot stress that enough because we don't want to go on to, you know, there's a, I don't remember the stats, but there's a stat going around that talks about how many caregivers go on to have their own mental illness because they're caring for their family member and they, they're not taking care of themselves. They get stressed and anxious and they go on to have their own uh, mental illness. And I know, I know that guilt is one of those things that can like really push you over the edge. And so, um, it, it, you know, it's not, e- it's not easy to, I can just sit there and say, oh, be gentle with yourself. Oh, don't feel guilty. I know that it's not easy. I deal with it all the time. Um, guilt likes to show its ugly head inside of my head very often, but when it does, I put it in its place. And the reason I can do that is because I go to a therapist who helps me, you know, I've worked with my therapist on, on dealing with guilt. I've, I've had a lot of guilt and she has helped me learn how to deal with that. It has been huge. It has been huge in my, my whole outlook on the whole situation, um, dealing with my guilt. And when things happen, knowing that I am doing the best that I can every single day, I live my life to keep, I have several family members and I live my life making sure that, um, they have what they need, making sure they remain stable. And so guilt, you know, it has no place in, in, in my life. Um, now that is not to say that sometimes it still pops its ugly head. Like I just said before, however, I know how to deal with it when it does. So my, my therapist has really helped me with that, which brings me to point number three. So point number one was like, is why we can't do a 5150. Um, point number two is dealing with guilt. And point number three is I will recommend all caregivers to go to therapy. So a lot of people, um, especially in the, um, in the minority cultures, they don't believe in therapy. They don't believe in therapists. They think you should just pray about it, or they don't think therapy works, but therapy is not just for your loved one. Who's ill. It's not just for people who are depressed or, um, people who are getting a divorce or people who are having problems. I talked to so many people and they, they think that's what therapy is. They either don't believe in therapy or they think it's only for those things. It's only for when you're having a problem. But I just want to let you know that Therapy is also for prevention. It's also for prevention of anxiety and stress. And so we need to um, make better use of it, especially if you're a caregiver. That's one of um, therapy to me is part of self-care. And these are just my recommendations and my suggestions, of course. It's not something that everyone has to do. I'm just sharing with you what works with me and, and the things that I feel like I would recommend to other people because they have been so helpful for me. Um, and so the next thing is number four is support groups. Um, when you go to support groups, you meet people who are going through the same thing you're going through very similar situations. And so you're able to go and meet these people. And then you realize, oh, this isn't just happening at my house. Like this bizarre stuff that I've been seeing, I thought it was only going on here, but oh no, it's going on in other people's house too. And I don't get the stigma because the more people I talk to, I find out more people have someone in their family who has a mental illness. So it's ironic. Like, why is there a stigma if a lot of us are dealing with this? It's like this big secret stigma, but it's going on in so many other people's house. But anyway, when you go to support group, you can, um, you'll meet people who have similar situations. And then 
you know that you can talk to these people because you, um, you know that they understand your pain. Um, they understand what you're going through and you're not afraid to talk to them about it because they have some of the same illnesses, same things going on. And so it, it can be very powerful going to a support group because you, you know, you hear this, uh, you hear this quote all the time. You are not alone. Well, su support group will really, really help you with that, help you feel like you are not alone. And last but not least, I can't say enough about NAMI. NAMI is the National Alliance on Mental Illness that, um, and their Family to Family program. Um, what I just read you earlier came from my notebook that I got from there. And as a registered nurse, I thought I knew all that I needed to know um, to take care of my family members. But I realized I knew it from a professional point of view, right? not from the point of view of being a family member with a loved one with a mental illness. And there's a huge difference. I mean, I read all the books. I went to nursing school. Um, I've taken, you know, continuing education. But let me tell you, when it happens in your house, it's a lot different than how the book describes it. Um, it's a lot different when, in the, and when I learn, you just learn, you don't really learn how to deal with it. So, Another recommendation that I have is that everybody with a loved one with a mental illness should take this class. And it's, um, it's just, um, how can I say, just a very, very empowering program. And um, I don't know. <laughs> I think it's just great. So one of the things is with COVID going on right now, there may not be a lot of family to family classes going on. However, I did see online the other day that um, one of the states is starting to have a virtual program, a virtual family to family program. And then um, if you don't have, if, the, if your community does not have NAMI or does not have a NAMI family to family program, I would, I would suggest that you call the Na NAMI national office and talk to them about that and see if they can get some NAMI classes in your, in your area. Um, get a NAMI program in your area and then along with that, get some NAMI classes. So that's just um, a, a recommendation I have uh, for all of you guys. And then, the, you know, again, it's just the class, um, they're small, they only allow like 25 people, at least the one that I went to. And it's families, just like I said, people who are going through the same thing that you are going through. I took the class. It's been six years since I took the class and I, I really want to take the class again. As soon as they open up again, I'm going to take it again because I feel like it's that powerful and it's just packed with so much information that you just can't um, get. You, it's hard to absorb. And then, you know, as you go on through your journey, they're different. When I took the class, this it was all new for us. Um, well, kind of new. We had, we had a new family member. Um, I have de been dealing with it for many, many years um, with another family member, but it was new. And so it, for this family member, and so um, I was just in a different place than I am now. So I'm sure if I took the class now, I would get different information out of, out of there. So I just, I want to take it again. And the class, I mean, it's packed with education, resources. And so when you have education resources and support, it empowers you to take good care of your family and yourself. Um, and that's what we need. You know, that that's what my passion is, is I want to empower families to 
empower families with to give them the education, support and resources they need, because that will give them what they need to take care of their family. They'll be able to take care of their family member much better once they're empowered, but not just their family member for them too. It will give them everything they need, not everything because every day we don't know what we're going to need, but it will, it will give them the strength and the energy that they need to move on, to take care of themselves, to take care of their family members. And so, um, and actually that's what caregivers haven is for. That's why I started this because I want to, I want to assist with that. I want families to be able to safely care for their family member. I want family members to be able to maintain their own peace of mind. That is my, that is my biggest goal for starting this business, for starting Caregivers Haven is, um, empowering families to take care of the family members. If we, if we're empowered to take care of our family member, hopefully it was, you know, our family members will not have to become homeless or they won't have to go live on the street because a lot of, a lot of uh, mentally ill people, you know, they be, they're, they're lost because their families are lost. The families didn't know what to do. The families didn't know how to handle that situation. Um, and, and sometimes even when the families do know how, you know, that can still happen. But my point is if we are educated and supported at the beginning Hopefully that can help decrease a lot of that, a lot of the substance abuse and homelessness. So again, I dedicate today's podcast to my friend. She knows who she is. And I just hope that this has been helpful and empowering and educational for some of you out there. Um, So please hold for some important announcements and then I'll be right back. Sandra is a registered nurse, and many of her guests are healthcare professionals. However, this is not a professional podcast, nor are we associated with any mental health counseling. Please seek help with a professional provider if needed. You can reach Sandra by listening to the podcast on the Anchor app and leaving a message there, or you can DM her on Instagram at Caregivers Haven. If you enjoy listening to Caregivers Haven podcast, please favorite, subscribe, or follow on your listening platform. Okay, guys, thank you for listening. And until next time, Caregivers Haven is wishing you peace of mind.